Welcome to the Label Podcast, a show about disability, illness, and difference. I'm Lucy, and that's Alice. Hi, everyone. And that's Lola. So much more than what you see. We all live our lives differently. Kaleidoscope identity, and this is who I'm meant to be. I'm just labelled me. I'm just labelled me. Can everybody see a record? I can. It says recording. Fabulous. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Labelled Podcast. I am Lucy, and this is my co-host, Alice. Hi. Hi. You all right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Good. I'm a bit flustered because I was like, oh, I'll just, just see if the dog will go to the toilet before I start recording for two hours and ignore her. And... Uh, we went and stood in the back garden in the rain and she just looked at me and was like, <laughs> the fuck are we doing here? <laughs> why are you, why have you left me in the rain? Yeah. In that, in that, like, I've never been here before in my entire life. I have no idea what you're expecting of me. The instructions you're giving are in a foreign language. I was asleep. What do you, what could you possibly want from me? Yeah. I mean, I'm no good when you wake me up first thing in the morning and you're, you're asking me questions so god knows what it's like for a dog it's hard first of all hardly first thing in the morning it's fucking quarter past it's one yeah, but it's to a dog afternoon. though isn't it really she's been up about four times like she's been up and she's had some breakfast and then she came and stuck her nose in my face and then she had some of her squeaky donkey so dog she's admin yeah exactly she's been working through her, her do list <laughs> We've got a bit of a special, uh, it's not really a special episode, it's going to, it's special episode for this first one, but then it's going to be like super run of the mill and you'll be as bored of our guest as you are of us by uh, <laughs> by the end of all of this. Yes, uh, we are um, introducing a, a new member of the team to this episode, aren't we, today? Yeah, it's really exciting. Yeah, we're not getting too big for our boots at all. <laughs> <laughs> um but uh, we'd like to introduce the listeners to Daisy. Daisy is going to be our resident historian for our... Now, we're calling these, what are we calling these episodes? I've got them on our fancy podcast spreadsheet as history lessons, because I thought that was kind of cute. History lessons, know? yes. Yeah. So um, me and Alice are big fans of history, and we will be doing the odd episode where we focus on people from history who we either you know had a disability or perhaps people that you don't realise had a disability. So we'll be diving into a few of these profiles of these historical um, people from history. Can I just say fans of history makes fans it sound like, like we're in a football stadium and we're like, yeah, history! <laughs> to, be fair, to be fair, that's what I'm like when I put a Channel 5 documentary <laughs> on, if I'm honest. Daisy's looking at me like, yeah, I agree. Back <laughs> me up here, Daisy. Um, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, I um, I quite like history. Um, yeah, yeah, I I quite like history. It's just you know, I'm I don't know what our team colours would be for history and no. and like would we would we have serious rivalry with geography fans? Oh, I don't know. Well, did you know any geography f that fans? <laughs> See that that rivalry between history and geography that existed 
at school yeah. um, also transfers into university as well. <laughs> okay. I I spent my entire degree, um, you know, mocking my <laughs> friends who did geography for doing a degree in colouring in. <laughs> Brilliant. No, so Daisy's going to bring her expertise to our waffle and basically yeah. say, what yeah. are you talking about? That's absolute rubbish. Where did you get that from? And uh, maybe put this in the right direction. Yeah. So, um, basically, do you want to sort of start a little bit? Why don't you just tell us about where you got your expertise from? You're obviously an academic. Yes, you having to explain where my expertise wrong makes me think in my head, eh, yeah, you don't really have any. <laughs> <laughs> Imposter syndrome. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. We, we are podcasters. I have put that in serious quotes, so it's fine. You don't need any genuine expertise to be here. <laughs> we'll give you a certificate and everything if you want. <laughs> I'll draw something on the back of a poster. It's fine. Yeah, I must admit, I have previously, you know, entered competitions just so that I might be able to get a trophy or a medal or a certificate. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I, I did my degree in history. Um, there wasn't a massive amount of uh, disability history around then, but it was a very broad uh, degree that I did in particular. So um, rather than a lot of places where it's just sort of the wars and mm. maybe some little bit of medieval here and there, uh, we went all over the world, all times of history, but... Um, as is probably not a surprise to absolutely anyone. Uh, academia is not a particularly accessible uh, career path <laughs> or no. place in general. I know. It, <laughs> I, I was really shocked by it as well as I dragged myself up the set of stairs that led to the disability department in my university. Oh, Honestly. <laughs> it was in a building called The Castle. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was a lovely romantic name, but... <laughs> Know your audience as well. It's a disability officer. It's up a flight of stairs. Yeah. <laughs> our, yeah. See, our disability office at where I did my, I started a PhD that I dropped out of. Um, that was that was nice and accessible on the ground floor and of the library, and it was great. Except that it, for some reason, had like a double set of security doors where like you could only open one when the other one was shut, but you couldn't fit a wheelchair between the two. So you could like it just it I it it didn't make any sense to me. I never had a problem, but yeah, it's just like once you were inside, it was great and everything was accessible and it had a little like kitchen area that you could and it was supposed to be like a place for disabled people to hang out as well as for all of like the staff and professionals to be. Alice, can I but, just tell you, you're making us sound really cool? <laughs> a place for all the disabled to hang oh, out. Yeah? Yeah, 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 put them in the corner with the staff <laughs> so they can keep an eye on them. With the kettle. Yeah, but you if you were in a wheelchair, you you couldn't... Once you, it, oh, it was like, I just, just once you were in, you're fine. I, but you're there on the other side of the glass wall as well. <laughs> so you're in a fucking fishbowl so that everybody can go, oh, look at all the weird disabled people. <laughs> Except for the wheelchair users who have to sit on the outside and go, oh, my friends are in there. Yeah. It sounds like an airlock on a spaceship. <laughs> it, it really was. I again, what do you need double secure? Like, like you know the ones you have for like banks. Yeah. I was like, what do you need a double security lock for for the disabled department? Are you worried we'll get out? 
I mean, yeah, pretty much. We do contain a lot of, uh, you know, aggressive fight the power type energy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> had to contain that within like a double walls, like a thermos. Of, yeah. <laughs> contain it within the airlock. Yeah. 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 So it's only sensible, really, knowing what has now happened now that we've been allowed out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's for their own safety. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Daisy, yes, turn around. Yes. Sorry, we went off on a, on a big, massive tangent oh. there. We've gone round the roundabout there. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, when I finished my degree and um, it's kind of like, eh, I guess that's as much history as I do. So now I do sort of uh, uh, independent, slightly more. I was going to say casual research, but it's not. Like, it can't be casual. I spend so much time doing it. But So I specifically research and write about disability history. Mm-hmm. But, uh, by not doing it academically, it means that, um, that I sort of do bits from all over the place mm. rather than um, if you are sort of working in a very academic field, you go to, you know, this particular person or this particular really specific time frame. Yeah. So it allows me to do bits of everything all over the place so i've been um, doing that for a few years now and sort of you know a couple of um articles here and there and you know blog posts and magazines and things like that nice it's, it's good fun it's really interesting a yeah. lot of people don't know uh, the history of our community and it's kind of that even when it is out there it's um in very academic language mm. so it's kind of yeah, even our own history isn't accessible. Yeah. <laughs> I I think I think that what you do, Daisy, especially with you know, with your blog and things, I, I read that quite a lot. It makes it sound like I'm an absolute stalker, but I'm not. Um but it's you think it's because I've got I think I've got a, a huge passion for disability and being ad, an advocate. And I've also got a huge passion for history. So it would make sense that I would go and seek out stuff that I could mm. sort of learn about relating to the advocacy side of things i mean what is your what would you say is your favorite period of i mean you say you do all over and it's every mm. bit of history what would you say is your favorite bit of history to learn about because i mean we like you say we know about wars and we know you know bits and pieces about different periods but it's not mm. you know there's some areas that we not many people know at all unless you are really a fan of it yeah, it's tricky. It's a lot of what you end up um, researching is is specific people. Because mm. mm. um, there'll be certain people where, you know, more is written about them than the others. You know, some will have like, a single line in a book somewhere. But one of the earlier blog posts I did was really interesting. It was sort of um, one of the uh, sultanates in sort of ancient... Egypt it was called the Mamluk Empire. Right. I mean, that was really interesting. You know, it was just so long ago. Mm. And all of these different, you know, it was um, Al Nasir Muhammad, I believe, is the name of the guy's. But uh, he has about 16 different names, which they yeah. use interchangeably. Yeah. So when you're reading about him, you have to learn all of them. <laughs> it's like his nicknames. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Yeah. You see that still with modern like royals though, don't you? It's a bit like yeah. the Duke and Duchess of this place, Lord and Saviour of such and such, and you're just like, just call him Prince Harry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everybody knows him as Fred, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it gets very confusing. But uh, yeah, he was 
he was the sultan about three times over um wow. with periods in between where um he buggered off and then came back again <laughs> uh, they wrote him a nice song <laughs> to make him come back when they, sang, wow. when they sang bring us the lame one Wow, that's nice. Can we have that as my personal theme tune, please? Yeah, Yeah, but within that same um, book that I was reading about him, uh, was also another man who's the same era and kind of on the fringes of that same sort of sultanate. But uh, there wasn't quite enough about him for an entire post um, because he became disabled after falling headfirst into a melon. (laughs) I mean, as... as... (laughs) As accidents go, I mean, that's wanted. <laughs> they gave oh, no so further so details. Funniest thing I've ever fucking heard. <laughs> I was try- desperately oh. trying to figure out how it was even possible. I was trying to smell it. Was he just like leaning off a like really high ledge? Did he fall off a horse into a load of melons and like whack his head? They they wrote that he became disabled afterwards, but no sense of what actually (laughs) happened. So I don't know whether maybe, you know, he lost his vision or lost his hearing or had a brain injury or... Melon pip stuck up his nose or something or... Melons aren't known for, like, being incredibly hard. Generally, you hit a watermelon with something, it goes splat. So... I don't know. Maybe, Mamluk, melons are very, very different. There's... That's the funniest thing I've ever fucking heard. <laughs> I cannot believe I just laughed like that into my microphone as well. I um I am known as being incredibly cl- incredibly clumsy. I have fallen out of my chair through sneezing before, um, <laughs> but it really hurt. But um, sorry, I, <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. But that that's made me feel a bit better because at least I will never injure myself on a melon. Oh, well, Luce, you're only 33 this time. <laughs> also, if it does help, um, one of my Facebook memories uh, came up. And it was last week or the week before, which was um, nine years ago when I tripped over the oven. <laughs> I mean, you tripped over the oven? Yep. Wow. Obviously, it was nine years ago, so I can't remember any of the details around it. I can only remember what I put on Facebook at the time. <laughs> yeah, that you tripped over the oven. Yeah. Crikey. And this is why you should learn about disability history. Yeah. I think we found the title of our episode. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to you sort of saying, talking about there not being a lot of, um, I'm, I'm being professional now, can you tell? Yeah. Going back to, um, you mentioned about disability history and there not being a lot of representation of disability history and our community. Do you want to take a minute to tell us a little bit about how you identify as a disabled and chronically ill person, Daisy, so that the listeners can understand sort of where you're coming from? Yeah, so I have um, multiple uh, chronic issues, many of which can be um, explained by the sort of, you know, one diagnosis that I got after 25 years, which I imagine is a similar scenario to a lot of people who would be listening. So, you know, relatively abled child. Mm -hmm. I considered myself non-disabled up until I was about 14, 15. Right. Uh, So next year I will be uh, reaching the point where um, I will have been disabled for as long as I was non-disabled. Right, okay. 
I'm planning a party. <laughs> yeah, so I was sort of a teenager and that started all with, you know, back things, confusing pain. Um, are you sure you're not just growing? Uh, maybe it's just having a back that's causing you problems. <laughs> yeah, all that. Um, spent a long time trying to figure that out. And then after a trip to India, I got very, very ill. I was still living in uh, Plymouth at that point because that's where I grew up. Mm. And so obviously because I'd just come back from India and I was suddenly very, very ill, it was a lot of uh, you know, infectious and tropical diseases specialists. Mm. But in Plymouth, all the tropical diseases specialists are Navy doctors. Right. So that wasn't too bad. Mm. Um, <laughs> so yeah, then I was diagnosed with lupus. Mm-hmm. And um, we all got very distracted from the other things yeah. because i mean in, in fairness i will grant them that it probably was more important to make sure i didn't die yeah so yeah yeah <laughs> can't, can't get too mad at them for that no so i i don't know the only thing i know about lupus is from watching house and mm. the fact that it's never lupus but obviously yes. it was lupus this time yes what, what does lupus mean what does it do so it's it's an autoimmune um disease so um, my immune system has started attacking itself. Oh, that's helpful. Um, it was really, really handy. It was really great. <laughs> uh, it's just sort of, it, it doesn't like me. No. It's, it's, you know, every part of my body it sees as like, you know, an infection or a virus or something and kind mm. of, you know, builds up all the white cells and just goes, let's fuck that up. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I'm on... Um, Sort of like a chemotherapy, like a low dose chemotherapy. Um, so I was shielding for mm, most yeah. of this year um, to try and sort of keep the immune system in check, which, to be fair, does does pretty well. So of, often, you know, in my case, I've been relatively stable for a while, and it's only now we're starting to think about having to do other things as well. Mm. So it's um, to be honest, of all of the things that's been causing me the least of my problems. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. for a long time yeah. it's kind of it's generally okay until it's not and then yeah. when it's not it's really not good yeah, when it kicks off it, <laughs> yeah when it really kicks off it kicks off yeah 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 so i you know I, when i was really ill the first time there's sort of like a period of about nine months i just don't remember right wow um so i lost most of my hair and i was sort of you know only awake for kind of like two hours of the day mm. i've missed six months of school yeah, my mum tells me a lot about it. <laughs> I don't remember. No. Do you remember when this happened? No. no. Oh, that was, <laughs> that was during that nine months when you were asleep. Yeah, then no, I probably won't remember that. That's when you were hibernating. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, so it's only after they got that under control that they uh, we started looking into um, why all of my joints were doing extra weird things. Um, should that kneecap be there? And apparently, no, it shouldn't. And so, uh, I'm sure many will not be surprised to learn that I was then diagnosed with Ellis Danlos syndrome. Uh, okay. Yeah. So I'm I'm trying to figure out how to deal with that because um, even though I am seen by uh, rheumatologists for the lupus, who is they're often the department that EDS gets given to. Given to, yeah. Almost sort of not because they're actually supposed to be doing it, but because they don't know what else to do. Yeah, no. they don't know where else to put it, so they put it there. Basically, yeah. 
Yeah, so they've got no idea what what to do with me. I got officially diagnosed, and then they went, "Excellent, well done, good job." And, um, <laughs> so, Off you go then. <laughs> yeah, so um, I haven't really had any treatment for it at all. I've just kind of been making it up. Yeah, so I've been seeing an osteopath recently, but I've managed to find an osteopath who I really like. She's not ableist at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it really makes a difference, doesn't it, when you've got like a GP or, or a medical practitioner who just kind of gets it so mm. I had a GP who was retired now very sadly I didn't get to see him before we retired because of the Rona um, that he just he just got understood like me completely he did keep saying that I'd got spina bifida when actually I'd got cerebral palsy and when I corrected him he goes yes that's what I meant <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> well, other than that he was absolutely brilliant I can remember going to the doctors one one evening in complete and utter pain because it just got too much and I was crying and I, it takes a lot for me to cry about pain and stuff and I Wait, they called me into the doctor and he opened the door and I was like, <gasps> he was like, what's wrong? I was like, everything's hurting. He was like, come in, sit down. Come in, sit down. It's all going to be all right. And literally, we worked through it together. I keep going back every like three months to see him just to say, I'm all right. Everything's all right. But he still wants to see me even though I'm saying I'm all right, just in case anything gets worse again. And I think once you can find a medical professional that gets it, it's just such a weight off, isn't it? Because you think, I've got to explain everything again. and I delayed moving once so that yeah. I wouldn't have to leave my GP yeah. who got it. I lived in Bath for like an extra year past when I really wanted to. Yeah. So I, I went to university in Bath and then moved over to Bristol where I am now. And I put off that move for a good year because I didn't want to leave my GP. Yeah, yeah. We, we moved out of the town I live in now we lived outside of it for five and a half years and um the and and I just just refused to tell anybody that I'd moved so I just had to go and whenever I had to go to the doctors I'd just go and stay at my mum's house and be like I hope I never have to have emergency care because <laughs> otherwise I'm fucked but it was worth the risk because my GP and now we're back and we went into the surgery and I re-registered and I specifically said, oh, can I be registered with this doctor? And then me and my husband have got to do um, like medicals for signing up again and stuff. And he was like, oh, how come you're with that doctor? And I'm just with random Dr. X. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, because I made a fuss. <laughs> like, I want this doctor. And I waved my guide dog at them and they were like, oh, all right. <laughs> It just makes such a difference. It really does. And when somebody understands you, you're like, oh, thank, hallelujah. <laughs> thank yeah, and heavens. It's, and it's not just kind of those primary care people. No, like yeah. I, I still see the optician yeah. that I've seen for my entire life, which, you know, it's a relatively long journey down to Plymouth, but <laughs> often it kind of comes around Christmas time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it makes sense, but... Yeah, I still go to the hospital in London to get my eyes test every 18 months because yeah. they could do it at the hospital around here. But I just, the just, even, you know, more fields know what they're fucking doing. Even though I see a different person every time, they know what they're doing and they're just a bit more on it than even the ophthalmology department in my local hospital because they're used to yeah. seeing grannies with cataracts. Well, yes, yeah, you know, my optician's been the optician for, you know, my whole family. 
mm. for a really long time. And so he knows when, you know, they know when something might be, you know, oh, because all of your family's eyes are weird like that. Mm. But also he, he was the one who told me that there were all of these extra things that could happen with my eyes because of my various conditions. No one else no. had actually told me that. Yeah. He knows how medications interact and, you know, what to look out for. And, you know, I have had to have, you know, a couple of like emergency, um, you know, eye appointments with people up here and I'm having to tell them, yeah. which is, you know, obviously we're all used to doing that. I think it's safe to say a lot of us are very used to having to be the ones to inform. Yes. Them. But you do, I'm just so tired. I'm really tired. It really is exhausting. Like with medical, like I, it's one thing happening to do it with like Joe Bloggs on the street. Yeah. But like read, it's all in my, in my notes. Mm. When I go to the doc, if I go to a new specialist for whatever reason, you can guarantee within five minutes of me getting on the examination bed, somebody will go, oh, does it mind if you bring the student in? So they go, and they come in and there's like three or four at a time, like umpa lumpers, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so the student physio, he goes, you're, bear in mind, I'm doing physio, so it's hurting. And he went, your condition is fascinating. I was like, it's really helpful, mate. <laughs> really helpful. Yeah. I mean, you do, I have, like I've had that, but used it to my advantage before. I have had to have cataracts out of both of my eyes, and I was twenty when they did it. And um, normally, when they do cataracts, they only do it under local anaesthetic. Mm -hmm. And I basically, like, it was the head of surgery who was looking at my eyes because you know I've got comorbidities, and uh, he and I was I just went, I'm not having it done unless you put me under general anaesthetic. I'm. 20 i'm not 80 i'm not gonna die if you put me under general anesthetic yeah. and the head of surgery was so keen to see what the inside of my eyes looked like that he was like yeah fine fucking no skin <laughs> off my nose let me just have a poke around while i'm there yeah. yeah i was like that's fine as long as i don't have to be awake while you're doing it i have no problems with that it's always had the students it's like they're following me personally <laughs> really deeply concerning how many strangers have seen my bum <laughs> like, there's, there's no way around that there is that thing isn't there where you when you are when you've got a disability of any kind there is that level of no no privacy you, you, you can kiss goodbye to sort of you know privacy really because mm. at the end of the day, like, I need you to like help me with this. And unfortunately, we're going to have to see things that neither of us want each other to see. But we're just going to have to suck up, suck it up and get on with it. It's um, it's a very weird, weird situation to find yourself in. So I have a PA that comes to work with me, and a lot of people are always are always like, cause she's basically there for my personal care needs. So they're like. So the first day you meet one another, I was like, yeah. So she comes in and we say hi, hellos, and I'm telling her all about And then about, at least about 25, 45 minutes in, I'm like, could you have me go to the toilet now, please? You know, and it's like, and then yeah. like I, I, could, I wouldn't be able to do that. I was like, well, it's either that or I wet myself. So which would you rather? Yeah. But it is that kind of being quite blasé about it now. Like, oh, do you want to have a look at this kind of thing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, the able, to, the non-disabled, aren't used to that. No, no. When you, when you just sort of suddenly get, hey, do you want to feel my rib? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my ribs in a really weird place. Feel it. Where's your thing that's sticking out of me? Yeah, can you feel that? <laughs> that? Yeah, yeah. I keep, I keep doing that to 
strangers, apparently. <laughs> apparently that's not normal. No. People don't do that. <laughs> We're brilliant with a party guests, really, aren't we, to be fair? <laughs> yeah. Hey, 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 look at this! <laughs> Brilliant. Well, you see, I, I obviously have different experience of parties because everybody's like, hey, hey, look at this. And I'm like, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the diagnostic criteria for EDS is genuinely, did you used to freak people out with the things that you could do? Like, that is one of the diagnostic criteria, was whether you did tricks in the playground. <laughs> so, what are the characteristics of EDS then? How does it sort of manifest? So, it's a genetically um, faulty collagen. Right. So, um, unfortunately, an awful lot of me is made up of collagen, as it turns out. Right. And it's all rubbish. So, you know, like, your ligaments are made up of collagen. It's it's kind of like the bits that's holding you all together. And so, usually, say, if someone, you know, had an accident and they, say, dislocated their knee, mm -hmm. the ligament would stretch out too far which would allow the kneecap to fall back into place right. and then as part of the healing process it would start you know going back yeah it was mm. yeah it would start knitting together and start going back to how it was before often you know people say that it's never quite the same after that but but for the most part it yeah. goes back essentially with eds the chances are once you've dislocated you know a joint once you're likely to do it again because it doesn't knit back properly because mm. it's kind of like the ability of it to hold itself together isn't doing great so that'll be in your joints in your ligaments but also you know it's all in your organs as well mm. so this is why people with eds tend to have like really widespread um symptoms which all seem so different and so you know it doesn't seem like they should fit together i suppose it's it's one of those things once you know that it's about the collagen you kind of go oh well of course because that's everywhere but until yeah, then yeah. you're like well how does this person have a problem with their feet and their hips and their heart yes exactly yeah yeah it's kind of like you know oh what why why would i be bad at digesting beans because mm. you know i'm very short-sighted like <laughs> yeah why would you think that? Why would yeah. you think that those are related? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I've I've heard of EDS, but I've never really quite understood like how how it affects somebody. I know that you know it affects sort of all sorts, but I've never really understood like the main thing it affects. Mm. It's quite interesting. Well, and collagen is an interesting one. As somebody who is obsessed with. Uh, starting to look older now that i'm in my 30s i've done a lot of like reading about collagen and and you know how it's the thing that keeps you looking young basically wait so i'm gonna age really really prematurely <laughs> no i don't really looking forward to that <laughs> no, <it's what> I... <laughs> no wonder i never get id <laughs> i never do um, either and i think it's because people think oh bless her she, she's made the effort to come out of the house let's give her <laughs> but it's like it is one of those like it's one of those things that your body produces in a very specific way mm. so once i guess your body sort of fucks up the way it's producing it you're you're kind of screwed and i mean that happens with with us all naturally with aging that just after a while your body starts to go no you don't need that no more and uh, I did a load of reading on trying to get like supplements for, mm. and there's not, where there are some supplements that you can kind of, you can take and it will encourage your body to start producing things. 
collagen's not one of those things so it's not there's not a lot of kind of treatment options I imagine it's it's more about kind of management yeah yeah so yeah there are plenty of um you know well well well-meaning people who will sort of you know say to their friends or relatives with EDS is oh here's some collagen supplements you know things like that obviously that is absolutely no bloody difference if just the actual production of your collagen is wrong it's like oh more faulty collagen yeah Yeah. Yeah. it's exactly what i wanted but it doesn't necessarily come out in the packet the way you want it to you know what i mean yeah 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 it'll still you know come out with like i mean I don't know what the visual representation of faulty collagen is. Maybe just sort of like a cell with a bite taken out of it or something. (laughs) It is all in management, certainly as it is. But unfortunately, a lot of the management that you really should be doing, you should be doing really, really young. Yeah. Before often you're showing symptoms. You know that. I mean, so hopefully some of those things will, you know, benefit the next generation. So, you know, there are a lot more people being diagnosed with EDS now. And so when those people go on to have children, yeah, then they may well be able to, you know, do those more sort of conservative management type things. Is it an, an inherited thing? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So my, my sister also has it. Okay. And, uh, well, to be fair, in, I think it's the case for a, a lot of people, but um, particularly in the area where my family lived, you don't have to go all that far back before you just don't have records. Right. So, I thought you were going to say it's Devon, like particularly yeah. where you live. Everybody's related, so everybody's yeah. got it. I was like, oh yeah, no, that's fine. Everybody's got an extra thumb. Yeah, that is that is Cornwall and Wales. <laughs> hey, I'm half Welsh. <laughs> Let's just leave it at Cornwall, shall we? But yeah, so you know, it's it's only sort of as far back as say you know my grandparents where. You know, we know that, say, for example, my grandma was very ill as a young woman. Mm. We don't know what it was. They never told her. You know, she was in hospital. The doctors did all of their stuff, you know, barely talking to the patient. Yeah. They, didn't tell, they didn't tell them what the problem was. It was just, oh, it's sorted. Off you go. Yeah. And so she never knew what it was. So there is a really decent chance that for an awful lot of people who um, do have eds but don't necessarily know where it's come from that obviously there are signs further back in the family just that no one was able to mm. know mm. Yeah. so it's you know, like when me and my sister were diagnosed we started you know asking our parents uh, um my parents are divorced so obviously they said it was the other one uh, <laughs> <laughs> not in an aggressive way or anything um but we asked you know my mum and my dad whether there'd been you know any record in our family of sort of you know people dislocating things with or, you know getting a lot of sprains and things with relatively yeah. little um yeah explanation incident. yeah yeah and my dad said yes you know your your granny bunny uh, we called her granny bunny because her name was bernie but we couldn't oh. say that with the kids so it's bunny That's so your granny bunny your granny bunny she did dislocate her her knee I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. What what happened? She fell off a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> that would explain why she dislocated her knee, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's allowed. Yeah. Blimey. Also, apparently she punched it back into place. <laughs> oh, like, oh. You're hard as nails, you lot, aren't you? Fucking <laughs> hell. 
that is your fault at that point. <laughs> if that continued to dislocate after you fell off a cliff and then punched it back into place, that is your fault. If you did not seek medical attention and it keeps doing it, then it's your it's on your head be it. Yeah. Oh. But yeah, there is also a good chance that say both of my parents had, you know, the gene where they didn't have it themselves but passed it on to the two of us because mm. You know, That's what was... my parents. Uh, well, I mine's a recessive gene, so it's only me. Not my. I'm the only person other than a very, very. My dad's. It's like my dad's cousin's son is the only other person in my huge family that has RP because it's recessive, and so it's one of those things where you kind of go. It's also it's something like one in three hundred thousand people have RP, so it's quite common. So we really don't know with my condition whether it's a like freak genetic mutation or if it happened like and it just happened to happen twice in one family or if my parents happened to be carriers and his parents happened to be carriers and it just that's how we got it. So yeah, yeah. So inevitably, there there, there are you know highly likely to be some mm. of the cases of you know the various types of EDS which are those sorts of you know genetic mutations but um they have no idea what genes are causing um, yeah causing yes what? and so yeah. see until you find that you can't figure out no. why but i mean to be honest with the amount of people who have it it seems quite likely that it's more than one there are 200 and something genes that cause rp and i don't have any of them Oh, so. well done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. That's Congratulations, Alice. <laughs> I think it's just that there are millions and millions of genes in the world and they just haven't worked out what all of them do yet. So there's bound yeah. to be some that they're like, oh, we thought this caused people to be short, but actually it also causes RP. It's like those DNA tests. They go, oh, do you want to do one of those tests and you can sequence your genome and then maybe research in the future will be able to find out which gene causes the thing. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, yeah. But then, like, I've read all too many stories about people doing those DNA tests and they find out some kind of really deep, dark family secret. And you're like, I don't want to find out that, you know, my dad isn't my dad. Like, <laughs> yeah, we did. That's that's where they did the gene test for my RP. So I had it. My dad had it and my brother had it. Me and my brother have got the same face. So, like, literally, now that he's turning into a proper grown up man, he his face is becoming more distinctly masculine and so looking a bit different. Um, but we we both look very similar and we both look like my dad. So that wasn't kind of a worry, <laughs> thankfully. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we do both have, you know, very clearly yeah. traits of our dads. Um, my sister's, uh, in particular, was his nose, which she, she's always been quite quite annoyed about. I think it's a perfectly fine nose. But... I've got my dad's nose and I hate it. I've my got nose my dad's nose. Huge. I, I've got my dad's nose. And when I was playing Ebenezer Scrooge in a Christmas play, don't ask, um, they, uh, <laughs> they basically just put like a beard on me and I looked in the mirror when they were like, you ready to go? I was like, and I looked, he looked at, and I was like, it's my dad. I'm my dad. Because my nose and my eyes are like my dad. Yeah. Daisy, how do you think, I mean, Going back to the history side of things, um, so obviously you know a lot about disability history, which you we should you shall be imparting on both me and Alice. No, um, you like it or not? <laughs> <laughs> you will sit down and you will listen and you will learn. Um, so obviously you know quite a bit about the, the journey that 
that disabled people have had to go on to get to the stage we are now in society whether that whether you feel that is a a good we're in a good place or a bad place I don't know do you do, I mean do you think it's changed for the better and and how far do you reckon we have to go and what is the one thing that you would think actually if we crack this we've got it we've got it we've nailed it so the thing that tends to surprise people about disability history is that uh, people do kind of have have this um assumption that it's always been really terrible you know we always been treated badly shut away in a box and all of that mm -hmm. and it was you know only recently that it's started to get better and so you know you should be grateful to live in a time like now rather than at a time back in history mm. you know i don't know if you've heard similar things but you know i've seen that quite a few times yeah, with sort of, oh, you, should, you shouldn't be you know protesting and angry about this now think how much worse it would have been back then and yeah. there are certainly points when it is it has been bad but not it's a much more recent thing you know locking away disabled people in you know workhouses or you know this kind of um idea that they're a drain on society or a burden or any that is much more recent than people think really yeah so as we know it's kind of you know healthcare medical care you know, workplace safety, all of that wasn't a thing, <laughs> you know, for a really, really long time. Yeah. So disability and chronic illness was much more common. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, a dis it was just something that happened to people. Mm. If you didn't die very young from something, you'd be left with a disability. And that was yeah. fine. It was just, it was just a normal thing. Yeah. You know, it was often um, a group responsibility to um, help out with anyone who was disabled, but that was the same for everybody. Yeah. It was, you know, anybody who was sick or, you know, had been injured or whether it was longer term, you know, it was one of the group, you know, say with um, arms and, you know, given to churches and, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. the churches would look after mm -hmm. people. It was only really the sort of industrial revolution when all of a sudden the only thing that mattered was how how quickly and how many times you were able to do the same task yeah so mm. before you know people were working as sort of crafts people or you know they were like i mean you know this is now gonna really stereotypical these are just examples of <laughs> you know if you were if you're a blacksmith or a, a you know woodworker yeah. or any of that sort of thing and you acquired a disability or a chronic illness you just found your adaption oh, you worked around it yeah yeah you you worked around it because that is the craft that you're skilled at yeah well and you had no other choice it's not like there was a welfare yeah. state or anything it was you worked or you starved yeah you know there was still obviously um there was help around mm. from people you know ch churches and um monasteries and nunneries in particular have always been a great source of that kind of like the earliest hospitals were um yeah. i was going to call it a monkery that's not right yeah i know what you mean um, uh, not a monastery no mon monastery monastery is the right word yeah monastery that was it this <laughs> monastery <laughs> monkery so that's like that's like the fraternity for monks where it's yeah. like like they get hazed and they've got to drink 12 pints yeah. and then do a Low cartwheel party. yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly <laughs> 
Yeah, so the monasteries were kind of, you know, early hospitals, but they were for, you know, if someone was giving birth or you know, all of that. Yeah. So, but it was just normal. It was only really when, you know, all of a sudden your worth became about how much money you could make for someone else. So it was like your worth was married with your productivity during the Industrial yes. Revolution. So what you're saying is capitalism has always been evil. Yes. I'm so surprised. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, so this, this idea that, you know, disabled people are a drain is much more recent. And so I don't necessarily think that we're in the best place we ever have been. No. We certainly have a long way to go because we're still not really considered part of society no still i don't think no. particularly this is uh this is an extremely uh topical reference it'll be old news by the time this goes anyway yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this isn't going to come out for like 12 weeks yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. pretty pretty patel just sort of no it wasn't it wasn't pretty patel um esther mcveigh oh yeah yes yes, yes. just just you know yesterday as at the recording saying that you know she wants to stop focusing on uh, you know discrimination against disabled people because it's too fashionable Liz Trust that's who it was was it Liz Trust Liz Trust they look I very always met Liz Trust and Esther McVeigh mixed up no but she you know what she was saying was basically people are kicking up this huge fuss about equality for different marginalized groups but they're only doing it because it's fashionable it's not a legitimate issue and you sort of go, I'm sorry, love, have you have you lived? I mean, she has lived as a marginalised person because she's a woman. So surely she's experienced those, you know, closed doors and barriers and things. But she's obviously not, I don't know, aware that there are other options. And it's society that closes those doors, not ourselves. Yeah, pretty much, so, you know. I've been doing a history project in my local area in Bristol where I've been uh, interviewing, like doing oral histories from a lot of um, activists from the sort of 80s and 90s. Right. And a really resounding, like a really common thing that they were saying in their various interviews was about how we seem to have gone backwards Mm. from when they were, you know, having to do a lot of, a lot of this work. Mm. It's quite a few of the interviews are, almost almost a call of action yeah. to you know to us and you know other young disabled people that you know we have to we have to organize and not let this go by because we're gonna start losing some of the things that they did manage to successfully fight for so you know like even you know the disability discrimination act was incredibly you know controversial mm. at the time because you know a lot of disabled people felt that it didn't go far enough mm. And now it's been replaced by the Equality Act. It's even less so, arguably. And with us leaving the European Union, we're going to lose a load of, um, you know, disability and sort of health and safety regulations that are in place because of things that have happened to disabled people and people with health and, you know, wellness issues. Because people have said, oh, well, that's a barrier to commerce and you know and you're sort of going well you know we we had to we had to fight to get those some of that legislation is older than i am and now they're they're taking it away and you sort of go like look at look at how old like 
you're going as far back in history as I am like tall that doesn't make sense I've done a bunch of shit in my life how are you basically undoing all of that by undoing these legislations and these you know the, the hard hard fought battles disability history is a very important part of advocacy because to it to me this is why I'm so grateful that Daisy's come on board to work alongside us on this project um we're shedding a light on people's perceived labels in this podcast and being able to learn a bit more about the history of how far people have come is to me it means that I'm showing respect because I'm I'm becoming knowledgeable about the people that have gone before us who've worked so hard to get where I am now and I know that things aren't perfect but it's because of the people that have gone before me that I am here and I can have a job and I can get out of the house and you know we may find it difficult at times but it's it's because of the people previously well and I think it goes back to that point that Daisy was making earlier as well about the you know the fact that actually this kind of exclusion and hiding away of disability and illness is is a recent thing just you know by understanding that and understanding our history and the history of disability in general and I think you know you look at any minority the history of minority representation and you know the social kind of construction and and treatment of different minorities is you you le- you learn mm. that it is socially constructed and that individuals have fought for it and it's for all those people who go oh well but you know look history doesn't just show you how far you've come history also shows you the potential of what you could have absolutely and i definitely i definitely think that being able to go you know i think i think it's like anything though isn't it it's like learning about your family history being respectful to your family's history it's the same thing it's learning about our community's history and our past mm. and the, the you know well understanding why sometimes disabled people can be a bit grumpy and a bit gruff and a bit acidic to other people but yeah it's, a, it's about learning about your community's history that's just respectful and being able to learn about because actually they've probably they're a lot older than me and they have probably fought so hard for stuff and then they turn around and they get people going so while you're in a wheelchair then like and you can under you're like oh again like i probably yeah. will end up as one of those acidic miserable old bats probably well and I think you know you sit there I do it not so much for disability but uh for other you know like I'm I consider myself a feminist I'm a bit um of a like animal rights person and you know like fox hunting I can remember being like absolutely what the fuck is going on and kicking up a huge fuss and getting it all you know fox hunting is banned it's it's just barbaric i'm sorry to i i can't imagine there's a lot of crossover in the venn diagram of people who like to go fox hunting and people who listen to this podcast but (laughs) you never know for for the handful who are out there it's fucking barbaric and disgusting i don't know what's wrong with you but then and you know we got the law changed and then within what seemed like 10 minutes the conservative government were like 
oh well we could put in drag hunting so and then if your dog happens to catch a fox it's not our fault that you've trained the dog to catch and murder foxes in a really horrific violent way it's just it's just an accident of that's what happens when you go out on a horse with some dogs and it's like you kind of go we fought so hard for this and that just some fucking rich white able-bodied man has gone no that's not what i want to do i don't like that and it's just changed it with a fucking click of his fingers and so i can understand people who are older than us and who have been campaigning for you know 40 years going wait what do you mean you're getting rid of the dda we, we fucking broke our neck for that and and you're getting rid of it now like i'd be pissed off Mm. Yeah, particularly as there are some parts of the DDA which still haven't fully been implemented. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you're like, just finish the plan first before you start fucking. Yeah, it's, it. it's build build the house you planned on building before knocking it down to build a new one. Yeah, you do. You just think to yourself, oh, okay. I think. I mean, I think we're going to have a lot of sort of really interesting conversations about this um i wondered if daisy if you wanted to sort of talk to us a little bit about maybe some of the things that you're particularly looking forward to doing with us any of the stories you're really looking forward to telling um any ideas that you've got that you know we maybe haven't even discussed yet it could be like an exclusive but you know like what what are you hoping oh my god we've got homework and everything (laughs) (laughs) yeah what if what what do you want to, you know, what are you looking forward to about being our history teacher? Well, it's not the pay, I can tell you that. <laughs> just to really just so that people know that it's there. It's kind of, you know, the lack of teaching of disability history is such like a missed opportunity. It feels like, because it's like we waste, you know, we, we use so much of our time being made to feel bad for you know, whatever it is that we're taking up too much space, that we're taking up too much time, that our access requirements are too much. And the learning about and knowing our history is such a great way to feel that sort of pride. Mm. You know, when you find out about someone who's just really cool and, you know, or you read about something that these, this group of people did, or, you know, how these people fought back it's you know i sometimes feel uh, people struggle with um the idea of of a disabled community which isn't centered around uh medical issues yeah you know most people within the community do follow obviously the social model of disability however the you know current forefront problem that a lot of people in our community are having is medical it's medical treatment and medical access and things like that and so you know it if you don't if you're not in a position where you feel comfortable it's medicalizing Mm. your disability then the community can sometimes feel that the community is medicalized Mm. well and i think there's also because disability and chronic illness it's everybody's experience is so diverse and different you know you're just looking at the three of us our 
the disabilities and our needs are all really different you know the things that there are things that I can access that Lucy can't access and vice versa you know and that's that's something that I think also people find quite difficult to kind of integrate outside of their sort of specific condition or specific sort of access needs you know it's and I think looking at disability history is is a, another really nice way of kind of going well this this person is an icon across the sort of the community they're really cool people who will just kind of I guess you know it sounds like a cliche in my head to say it but defy the expectations mm. not necessarily of um you know us as disabled people chronically ill people all of that but to other people so yeah. you know you know at some point i would very much like to tell the stories of some of the people who were involved in sideshows yeah mm-hmm. so what we now think as uh freak shows mm-hmm. a lot of people you know they kind of use the terms interchangeably yeah. however the stories of a lot of them it's very uh not as sad i suppose no. yeah i mean anticipating. you look at the um, the oh what's his fucking name is it todd hopper somebody like that the the 1930s films freaks which is literally a freak show and it's you know one of us one of us and it's like actually that should be a real kind of call to community to be like yeah actually embrace it you are one of us yeah you've got needs, and that's awesome you recognize it but that film's fucking horrible because it shows disabled people as being monstrous however it does also disabled people playing themselves true it's true it's a really interesting i talked about it in my master's degree it's a really interesting um piece of it it sort of it challenges some things but then it also really undercuts itself as well yeah i suppose it's it's one of those um tossing up of of the time versus the Mm. context Mm. you know in terms of disability representation for what was it 1932 that was yeah yeah um that's very good (laughs) representation for that time it's a shame they pulled it immediately yeah you know people didn't want to look at disabled people yeah we we are quite scary really first thing in the morning (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, there's there's some, for example, some uh, women that I was reading about just last night. You know, it was a letter to the editor of a newspaper in the in the twenties or thirties. Um, it's really a long letter, and it was about this particular slideshow that he'd gone to see, which was entirely um, women missing limbs. Okay, okay. So, um, I believe there was. There were two women who were, as he called, limbless. One who had uh, one leg and one set of um, twin acrobats who each lost a leg during a trapeze accident. Oh, but the opposite one, so that they carried on doing their tricks together. Did they land on a melon? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was there fruit cannot, involved? Yeah, cannot confirm. <laughs> Did they slip on a strawberry? <laughs> Banana skin yeah. on, the, on the trapeze. Yeah. I'm but basically, sorry, that, that... but you shouldn't be in exotic fruit on a trapeze. That's just asking for trouble. <laughs> no, no. But the but the this entire letter, it was like the twenties manifestation of "Don't get horny on Maine." Yeah, like it was entirely about you know 
oh, and they looked so lovely. She was, she was oh. only wearing like a little oh. silk nightie. Oh. And, and this was, this was thick. <laughs> but, but this was entirely, this is by the women themselves. Right. Who've done this show. This this is so self-determination. Yeah. This, yeah. is, this is a way of them making money. And so basically they're fit and they know it. Yeah. yeah. So they're, they've specifically done it so that, you know, they can, they're showing them how they're, you know, doing their hair. Yeah. When they so so there is a certain amount of you know demonstration, but it's you know they're very specifically you know wearing silky sexy clothes. That reminds me a lot in the current modern day of people who are disabled devotees. So I don't yeah. know if you know about devotees, but they are people who fantasize and are sexually aroused by watching people struggle who've got. A disability so it could be like oh you've got nice deformed feet or um you know oh it's really nice seeing you struggle which i it, like the thought of it just makes me see want to puke i can i absolutely understand where you're coming from and this goes against my sort of core beliefs as as a sort of a socialist but you know what if some some weird old rich bloke wanted to like whack off in the corner while I struggled to read something and pay me a million pounds for it. <laughs> they, never want, they never want to pay you though. I like... was going to say that's the thing because I'm going to have to, I'm going to struggle to read something anyway. So fucking pay me for it. If you're a weirdo, that's absolutely <laughs> fine. And I think that's, it's, it's about that agency, isn't it? It's, you know, these, the people in that sideshow were going, well, you know, you're going to stare at me anyway. Yeah. So why don't I make some coin out of it? Yeah, and it's important that you know they specifically didn't struggle, mm. as as would be the case with sort of you know devotees and things like that. It was kind of you know they they are very skilled at doing these things. They they know exactly how to move themselves so that the little silk gown that they're mm. wearing will just drop down slightly mm. over the hip. That's playing the disability cards like proper isn't it really like kind of, yeah so the, the, all of them had their own specific methods as well for um when uh men and women would try and kiss them afterwards oh god <laughs> <laughs> and it's i think it's it's interesting as well because i think it's one of those things that you see in like in feminism and things like that is that there's there was a lot of fight for a long time about women being looked at and the kind of being objectified for being looked at and things like that and so there was this pushback of you know well if she wears a short skirt she's going to get looked at well it's it's that well in in the other on the other side of it if you're a woman and you know you look damn good wearing a short skirt then you can wear that for yourself you're not wearing it for the sake of some guy you're not wearing it to get looked at and the problem is the person who's looking the person who's looking at you and objectifying you that's where the issue comes from the issue doesn't come from your choice to show off your body and you know that's exactly this situation for these these ladies is that they're going well again you're going to look anyway so let me show you what I can do. This is me choosing. This is me taking control of it. If you choose to be a weirdo and fetishize it, that's on you. Mm. Yeah, because one of these women, Violetta, she was called. She was great. You know, she was uh, one of the 
one of them they called limbless mm-hmm. so um born without um arms or legs at all the top joints joined in the torso okay. and she she said at one point that she didn't see the point of limbs <laughs> i suppose if you've never had them she could do it she could do everything great she thought that she looked better without limbs and she would tell people i, I just don't see the point like pfft. to be fair i have got horrible fat sausage fingers so i've got horrible feet yeah <laughs> I've got ET's feet, so you know. All all of them, every everything that you can sense sense that they've got complete body confidence. Body confidence is a term that's banded about and you can be confident in your body but you can't you, sometimes you don't necessarily like it. Well and there's I mean? a lot of there's there's a lot of people who are quote unquote body confident because they look like a supermodel. It's nice that there's some there are people out there who don't necessarily meet those norms and expectations who are like yeah i look fucking banging <laughs> i want some of that body confidence please yeah. <laughs> it's um it's really interesting i'm so looking forward to having these history episodes and i think that if we play this right we could have a tv show and a book deal and a, and a separate podcast with just disability history just fronted by us three I definitely think at some point we have to do like our own version of a drunk history. Yes. Where we just like we pick a we pick a phrase that uh or you know an idea and Daisy tells us a story and every time it comes up it's like oh drink. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like my kind of homework. Nah. Yeah. No. I'm so pleased Daisy that you wanted to come on board. I said to Daisy in the early stages of these conversations I mentioned to Alice you know should we get a historian in to sort of like help back up our what we want to talk about maybe you know take a bit of the pressure off when we're talking because like we're not historians we just are interested in facts and we don't necessarily it was very difficult i think i think to say we're interested in facts is perhaps inaccurate i think it's more it's better to say we're interested in history and we frequently get the facts wrong. <laughs> well, so I basically said, shall I approach a historian and see if we can... And I knew Daisy. I couldn't remember Daisy's name. All I, all I could remember was, the person I'm after has got blue hair. And I know that when I see her on Twitter, I'll be like, oh, Daisy, can I speak to you, please? Which is exactly what I did. I was like, what is her name? And then when I saw her, I was like, oh, Daisy, can I, can I email you? And then lo and behold, she's on our podcast. So... Thank you so much. As a, lucky for everyone that I haven't changed my profile picture on Twitter in about three years. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. Um, <laughs> it's, but I, I definitely think that it adds a whole other level, doesn't it, to our episodes. I have to say that's been something that's been really cool that I've been really surprised about is that like the random people who I've just reached out to on Twitter or like whatever and just been like, oh, I you wrote this article and. Uh, and I thought it was interesting. Do you want to come on the pod? And they're like, yeah. I really thought we would be like desperately going, please. You know, because we can't pay anybody. Although, guys, if you do want to donate to our GoFundMe, nice we, we uh, nice little segue there. We I've do... taught her well. I've taught her well. <laughs> We, we have got our GoFundMe. You can find it by visiting our website, which is labelpodcast.co.uk. Uh, one of the things we would really like to be able to do is pay some of the artists and contributors that we have coming on the show. Um, 
but yeah it's been it's been really awesome to you know that there have been academics and professionals and stuff that we've reached out to and gone oh do you fancy you know just putting your two cents in your expertise and they have been really open to it it's it's been really cool Alice has often said if you can find somebody then yeah we'll do it and I'm like leave it with me give me 15 minutes <laughs> and it, it's really it's been really cool because there's been so many people where I've just kind of gone ah fuck it we'll ask we'll see what happens and they've been like yeah sure whereas I was absolutely expecting people to be like fuck off <laughs> oh, I, who the fuck are you I don't need to talk to you you weirdo yeah 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 it's really encouraging, actually. And I'm just so glad that Daisy said yes, because I think we're going to get on so well with Daisy. Um, and also, I think I will come away from these episodes thinking, I've really learned something today. This is pub quiz knowledge, and it's going in my head, and it's stored under pub quiz. So next time I win a pub quiz, Daisy, I think I should split the winnings with you, because I can guarantee I'll clinch it yeah. on a history question. It'd be a really specific pub quiz. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so thank you so much for wanting to be part of this and listening to us drivel on for an hour and a half, Daisy. Is there anything that we haven't touched on that you're like, this is this is the one message I really want to hammer before we finish recording for today? Is there anything you want to promote, maybe? Or yes, I should do that. Okay. Um, I'm running the uh, COVID Disability Archive. The archive is going to be a digital, fully accessible archive of artefacts related to um, disabled, chronically ill, neurodiverse, mentally ill, everybody, for things related to COVID. Hmm. So long, uh, you know, our our experiences are often sort of forgotten and sometimes uh, very specifically ignored. And... I don't want that to happen with COVID. Disabled people have been hit much harder by the pandemic than, you know, other groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe not much harder. I don't know. I think, you know, there are people people who are shielding, people who have got, you know, immunity, compromised immunities, have not left their house since March. Yeah. So, yeah, we've been, we've been hit hard, certainly in in deaths mm-hmm. we've hit very hard the disabled community the, the stuff about um dnars for people with learning difficulties oh yes. my god oh shit man yes. we we did some stuff about that for um the i work in social care so we did some stuff um about kind of challenging that and you know heard stories about a a lady who had moderate autism who was 30 and she got coronavirus and they put her on a dnar so because it's, and you just it's just so i it's, i at the beginning of the first lockdown i for about four weeks was having a complete panic attack every day because i think if i catch this thing i'm going to go to hospital they're going to take one look at me in my wheelchair and think oh yeah bye bye the purpose of a dnar is that it's a do not attempt resuscitation for people for whom the process of that attempted resuscitation which of course is you know chest compressions and things like that is going to leave them extremely with an extreme problems with kind of effects yeah yeah and problems recovering so if you are if you've got extremely brittle bones things like that if it means attempting to resuscitate you is going to mean that you're going to be in hospital 
not able to breathe on your own because of damage to your lungs and ribs for the rest of your life can perhaps understand why they might consider DNAR. It's supposed to be about whether whether it's going to be successful and whether it's going to affect your quality of life afterwards. People who are, you know, making the decision based on a person's cognitive abilities and mental, uh, you know, cognitive abilities, mental health, physical health, it's basically deciding that they don't have a quality of life already. Yeah. You know, their their life is not worth saving because they don't have a quality of life already. Yeah. Yeah. So we're so I'm trying to collect all things like that. So, you know, all of these problems that people have faced, but also just, you know, the mundane day to day stuff. We want, you know, research some, you know, people in the future to be able to look back and see what this time was like for the disabled community specifically. So, you know, whether it's the you know, the receipt from your particularly large delivery order or, you know, <laughs> some of some of your social media posts from when these things were announced, you know, mm. letters from, you know, like your original shielding letter yeah. or, you know, one of your hospital appointments, which was rescheduled. Or, yeah. you know, so a lot of submissions I had so far have been uh, from artists. So it's so it's art that they've made during lockdown, things like that. But, Basically, it's anything. anything. Anything is what we want to I mean, put in the archive. Uh, during our lockdown, we created a podcast. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. So it's the archive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I don't think it's. I don't think it's sort of a surprise that it was living during the first lockdown and kind of joining the sort of disabled to quitter community that prompted me to sort of be like yeah actually i want to do this i want to start a podcast it's the two i if lockdown had never happened i probably it's, would never no, have bothered i would probably still be umming and ahhing about it and i still i don't think i've said this to you alice but i i um feel that if it hadn't have been for you sort of going do you want to do this podcast with me and giving me something to focus on god knows where i'd be because it was having on the days where i was really struggling and really low um i'm gonna get really teary now um on the days where i was really struggling and really low it was alice that what was the one who was going have you thought about this have you, she was she was providing that distraction Whoo! Um, oh, Luke. She was provide. Sorry, she was provide. You can leave this in, Adam, because it's quite good stuff. I'm just that's what I'm <laughs> just just to ruin the emotional part of it. She's like, oh, Adam, we can fucking leave this in. <laughs> but it, 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 you did. You provided me with that kind of distraction, even if it was for a few hours or you know half a day or something, where things would really kick in and get really bad, or when oh. I was feeling like. I need something to do today. Let me just focus on the podcast. It wasn't because, I mean, I was getting stuff done really quickly and you were like, wow, you're really motoring with this. It wasn't because I wanted to, it was because I was just doing it to keep me sane. And I thought, even if it's shit to start off with, it's given me something to do for an afternoon. So I oh, I nice. do, I, no, I do. I completely believe that it, it was having this outlet to talk to people through lockdown and talk to Alice and go, do you know what? things are really crappy that's made me feel a lot better about this lockdown than the first one so yeah maybe i should have said that off air where i didn't cry but no I it's 
we said one of the things we want from this podcast is a place for people to be able to kind of share all of all of that stuff you know having a disability sometimes it's really fucking hard Mm. and we make jokes and you know we're cynical and we're sarcastic and stuff like that but sometimes I think it's important for our mental health and I think it's really important for the mental health of people out there who are listening to go that you know what whatever it is even if it's not disability related we're we're going we want to be a space where people can share everything and sometimes that means being sad and being afraid and you know it's I I have shared some stories on this podcast that have been hard to share and that have you know things I've never told people before and it that's what we want this space to be because especially you know at the moment when everybody is so isolated if we can have somewhere where people can come and listen and feel like actually yeah that's somebody who understands that's somebody who's also been there I think that that that's going to help you know if we help one person Mm. it's it's going to I want to foster a sense of community and that's the thing I don't think we ever started off thinking we're going to help people we just wanted to have a chat about people who got labels and gone it's a, it can be a bit crap sometimes can't it that kind of thing we didn't want but I think it's morphing into something a lot bigger than we ever expected yeah it's really nice to see yeah and you know that is partly because of getting contributors you know having people who come are coming on and talking about their experience of you know disability and illness but also people you know like Daisy who's going to come on and, and share kind of specialist ideas and this is turning into something much sort of broader than and I think it's going to mean different things to different people there's going to be people who absolutely have no interest in our interview episodes and are like oh it's just Alice and Lucy fucking waffling (laughs) talking over each other for an hour yeah um and there's going to be people who are like right I'm only going to listen to it's part of the reason why I think we should you know specifically name Daisy's episodes the history History lessons so that people can be like yeah I'm only going to listen to the history lesson episodes because it's more somebody sensible talking and less Lucy crying and Alice swearing. <laughs> you know, that is incredibly inaccurate. <laughs> <laughs> Again, there we go. Daisy's first correction on her first show. So that is, that is incredibly inaccurate. <laughs> <laughs> if somebody wants to submit anything to the COVID archive, how do they do that? How long is the archive open for? Is there a specific cut-off time? Or? There is no end date to the archive because you know history carries on yeah. forever and ever and ever and ever and ever um so all submissions so far i'm hoping to have the uh, website set up soon so might be by the time this goes out um <laughs> where you can submit uh, via website but in the meantime you can email um covered disability archive at gmail.com okay. and i have uh, more information about the archives well as you know FAQs and things like that on a post on my website, which is uh, daisythechronicinvalid.com. And we will make sure that all the links to your COVID archive 
and everything that you've spoken about today, like with your blog and everything, is in the uh, description for this podcast. Yeah, the show notes, and we'll also make sure it's all up on our website. So if you scroll down thank and you. click the links in the description, you'll find all that stuff there. Daisy, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I'm so pleased you're joining our team. Thank you for having me. It's been very nice. Ah, good. We're glad we didn't bore you. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a perfect way to finish this off. Hmm. Thanks for listening to the Labelled Podcast. If you like the show please rate review and subscribe you can follow us on social media at labeled podcast uh, thanks go to our editor adam hall our music composer Maisie crunden and our graphic designer sarah coney we'll, we'll see, see you next time, time.